Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our work on transparency and accountability, not only in Chicago, but we're spreading around the country. You can find it on our new website at chicagojustice.org. Today, we're going to talk about uh, ex-congressman Luis Gutierrez trying to stay relevant. The city of Chicago suing an Indiana gun store. Uh, Chicago Tribune columnist thinking uh, that the mayors are um, going to do something about crime and have a solution. David Brown, we're going to look at BEZ's first year roundup and David Brown's uh, first year in office. We are going to... um, and then after the break, we're going to come back and I'm going to, we're going to have a recurring segment on the show. We did it on the blog for a while. Now we're going to bring it to the show called FOP Watchers with the Fraternal Order of Police, which is the largest police union, covers the patrol officers and I think detectives in the city of Chicago. Um, we're going to talk about a recent video posted in the last couple of days uh, about a, variety, a couple of different things, but one about the Anthony Alvarez Uh, tape that was about to come out that shooting that came out uh, a couple hours ago we're going to talk to you about the spin they use in those videos very important to keep up with what they're saying publicly and to their own constituents the the police officers and the retirees then we're going to talk about an article from the marshall project about how veteran cops are bad trainers and stand in the way of reform and we're going to lastly talk about a little bit more about the adam toledo shooting and in this case we're going to talk about an article i think is really interesting out of black cub chicago about an order being given about the cpd turning off their body cameras okay real quick anthony alvarez tapes videos came out today released by the civilian office of police accountability or copa we are not One, we're not going to show them, but also we're not going to talk about them immediately. I need time to digest them and look at what's going on. I also want to look at the reporting and see um, what's going on with that so we can comment about it. The only thing I am going to say about those tapes is um, I have seen one report out of CBS News Chicago about um, COPA requesting the stripping of the officer involved in that shooting, which means they strip them of their police powers, they put on a desk job, and they take their gun and badge. Um, that seems to me they think there's some misconduct involved. And uh, we'll talk more about that shooting uh, after the break. So that's all we're going to, I mean, besides the FOP spinning, we're not going to talk about the actual video or show it. Um, but I, I am going to hopefully talk about it on Friday's show. Okay, first, tonight at 7 p.m., you should hopefully get a the link soon in the chat. CJP Nation every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central. Get involved. We had uh, over 150 people involved with the nation this spring. Uh, It is crowdsource research project, uh, social media activism, public policy activism and advocacy. Um, All of that combined in uh, with internships and volunteers coming together to do large scale research projects. The first of which will be published before May 20th. And then we're going to publish one every couple of uh, every couple of weeks, probably through the end of summer. Um, of those projects. Really interesting stuff from looking at uh, alternative response systems to 911, crisis intervention, to bringing fatality review boards to Chicago. That's some of the policy work they do. And then we have uh, upcoming research related to the Public Safety Committee in the city of Chicago and other type things like that. If you want to get involved, there should be a link in the chat. Go to that link tonight at 7 p.m. and you can find out what it's all about. 
Okay, our first segment. Um, Ex-Representative, ex-Congressman Luis Gutierrez, I'm sure most people have forgotten about him, um, held a press conference to slam Fox about not watching the Adam Toledo video. Shame on you. Okay. Here is my issue um, with this. There's an article from the Sun-Times. We're going to talk a little bit about, and it basically says, ex-Rep Luis Gutierrez slams Fox for failing to watch Adam Toledo video before prosecutor. Shame on you. Before what? Um, before their office, um, when someone in their office went in the court and said Adam had the gun at the time. I'm not going to rehash what happened in that shooting. I've talked about it at length on the show and my feelings. Um, just to say that I think this complaint is basically bullshit. What Gutierrez is saying and those criticizing Fox for not looking at the video is like, listen, on one, on cases where it is um, just, um, it's important, where there's shootings involved the police, you have to watch the videos. On all the other shootings and all the other cases where there's body cam video, don't worry, you don't have to watch those. Your prosecutors are fine going into court and lying about what's on the tapes in those cases but not this type heater case that makes the press. I think, um, I don't care if Fox saw that video beforehand. She's responsible. She's supposed to have a handle on that office. They're supposed to be more independent um, than a lot of the old guard in that office are. It happened. It shouldn't have. The, the prosecutor's been suspended. They're doing an internal investigation. The prosecutor may get fired. Um, that's the accountability you want in the office. You don't want micromanaging by Fox and saying, Ooh, that's a heater case. I better watch it. Even though she's been pushed into that statement, into that position, I think it's wrong. Um, I think in the end she should have prosecutors in her office because they're, they're her employees doing it the way she wants the job done. She's the elected one. They didn't vote for the rank and file prosecutor. They voted for her and her vision. You can argue with it. And we've got issues with Fox. Um, but I don't care whether she saw that video. I think that's kind of ridiculous. People in our office need to do the job the way they should do it. And if they don't, something needs to happen to them. And that's what's happening. Um, like I said, all around, I think the, the, the comparison of this shooting to Laquan McDonald is ridiculous. The comparison between uh, Kim Fox and Anita Alvarez is ridiculous. Um, but this is someone, in my opinion, that's exploiting Adam Toledo's death. Um, I Just to stay relevant and stay in the discussion, God knows what he wants now that he's got back in the paper. Um, I really think he should, if he's going to come back into public life, he should really talk about um, <laughs> a house that he, he bought or got gifted. I think he got gifted from a developer. He never moved into it. Then he sold it for a boatload of money. I think it was in Bucktown. If I'm not mistaken, I think the representative next, if he's coming out in the public again, should actually finally explain that. Other than that, I don't really care about what he thinks about how the prosecutor's office should run. Just another voice from the politicians looking to exploit things. And uh, he's nothing new. It's not like he hasn't done it before. Um, and it looks like he's going to keep doing it. Yay for us in Chicago. Okay, next segment. The city of Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot announced that... The city is suing a gun store. So let's take a look at 
that article. Here's one from the Trib about it. Chicago sues Indiana gun store, alleging weapons routinely wind up with gang members and felons. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not good. The practices of the gun store are pretty bad. It's an interesting approach um, to sue the gun store. Yes, they should be handling it better. Basically, the feds, the ATF should be stinging these people. Much more than they are and putting them out of business, taking their business licenses. It shouldn't have to rest upon a city to file this suit. I I don't I think this is whack-a-mole for the city. I don't I think you can sue this one and even if it slightly adjusts their practices, they're gonna find the gun somewhere else. That's my thinking. I, I, I hope I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think it's kind of an interesting idea, but I also think this could very well be wag the dog. Let's blame other people for the gun violence in Chicago and the fact that we're not doing anything about it. Right. And this is, um, right. Structural change has not come to Chicago. The reformer, the head of the police accountability task force has basically brought no reform to the police department. Basically none. It's pretty sad. Um, so this may be a completely honest effort. This would have been great on top of 20 major systemic changes and a really innovative superintendent hire. Brown is not that, and she has brought none of those changes. Um, the chain, whatever she's brought in, been incredibly, incredibly, incredibly weak. And once again, I'll say it. Yes, she needs to... Um, the city needs to redo their foot pursuit policy, and this maybe played a role in the Alvarez case. Although, once again, you're chasing someone with a gun. I don't know. Do you just let them go? Maybe you, you lose sight of them, you stop them. So maybe there's a difference between this and the Adam Toledo one. I don't think any change in the foot pursuit policy of any best practice around the country is going to stop the Adam Toledo foot pursuit from happening. Okay, I don't think it is going to. Um, there may be something about the Alvarez one. I've got to look at it more closely. Um... But anyways, this lawsuit thing would have been good if it was on top of a bunch of major reforms and maybe took on the top 10 gun stores that were supplying and illegally supplying guns. Or not illegally, but unethically, maybe against the rules, selling guns that they shouldn't be to people they have a good good reason to believe are straw purchasers. Um, but this, like on its own seems kind of a wag the dog thing. This seems much more, um, um, so seems much more like a wag the dog. I'm going to get to a question we have from back of the jards. Do we know why they first pursued him? Yes. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure at the moment why they were called to the scene. And I'm going to talk about it in a, in a few once after the break about the, the FOP's response. And in there, they talk about how this officer, this specific officer knew Alvarez. He had evaded him once. Um, so he, they had had a history. I know when they pulled up, I think Anthony ran. And during the initial foot pursuit, he pulled a gun from his waist, supposedly. So the story goes. Um, I don't think there's a doubt that he had the gun. I think um, there's a there's a doubt about whether or not he actually ever um, did anything that would 
can be reasonably construed as threatening to the officer. And uh, while I'm not going to dive deep into this, police have wide latitude, right? If if they think in their head they have a reasonable belief that that person may rise, raise the gun and shoot them, that can just shoot people. Um, and I'm going to get into this more on Friday's show. I, I, I'm not 100% sure. I think that is the law and I think that is CPD policy, but I'm not sure it's a good one <laughs> in either way. Um, but it, it, it does get complicated because someone could be looking completely away and have their back to, have their back to you and turn their arm and just shoot. It's complicated. I'm not going to get into it all now. We'll talk more about it after the break. But thank you so much for the question. Let me know if you have more. So we're going to move on real quick to our next segment. It's, a, it's an article by um, Darlene Glanton. And, you know, I have this um, semi- of her stuff I really like, some of it I really don't like. This is more on the don't like, you know, part of that spectrum. Um, it seems kind of... I don't know, it seems kind of naive to me that, yes, uh, Daly said things about violence and promising to reduce it. So did Rom, so did Lightfoot. If they don't explain the structural change they're going to bring in that is going to actually change the social circumstances in the communities where the violence is most prevalent, then why would you believe anything they say about violence? I didn't believe any one of them. I know Lori Lightfoot. I know her. I worked with her on the police account of the the ordinance that created COPA and the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety after the Police Accountability Task Force. Um, I just, I didn't believe that. Unless you're going to see massive systemic change in these communities, you're not going to see violence drop, no matter how good the police are. Things go, violence ebbs and flows. Um, and a lot of times it has very little to do with the police. Right? After... Um, the financial crisis, crime had been dropping for 15, 20 years by that time, 20, 18, 19 years, depending on the city. We expected when the financial crisis hit in 2008, the, the playbook was crime is going to go up because of all the social uh, stress that was on and unemployment and displacement. Um, that didn't happen. Right. So there's all kinds of social circumstances to play into this. And the criminal justice system has far less of an impact than anyone in the criminal justice system will admit. That's a it's a double edged sword. So it means that when it because you have to un understand when crime goes down, it has less to do with the police than they want you to think or any other justice system actor. But it also means when crime goes up, it has less to do with them. Now, the problem is for policing is that. The leaders are so corrupt um, they're so corrupt that they've always taken credit for the crime drops. It's me, it's me, it's me. Um, Brown did that in Dallas, and then a couple years later it went away, right back up under his leadership. <laughs> he may have not had anything to do with either one of those. It's very hard to know. Um, it's very hard to know, so you can't... Um, you got to understand that they have very little to do with the policing system. And if it isn't larger societal uh, economic 
changes, systemic changes in these communities, you're not going to see major differences. So let's go to a couple quotes. Um, back of the jars, happy to answer the question, but can you finish it? I don't know. Um, what? Okay, we're going to go real quick to the question. How's... I'll read it to you. With the Supreme Court ruling on McDonald versus City of Chicago, how is a permitted citizen to carry a gun and remain safe from the police? Very, very, <laughs> I agree with you. It's a very hard question. I have no idea. I'm against open carry. I'm against there being guns. I'm against anyone having guns um, but the police. Um, and I'm for very stringent regulation on how they use them. So... I don't know how and how anyone of color um, carries a gun, even permitted and licensed in, in this police environment in this country. I have no idea. It's a very, very dangerous situation. Very dangerous. Um, hope that asked your question. I don't know. If you got ideas, let me know because I have no ideas. Um, so let's go back real quick to um, the column. I'm going to read a couple of quotes and I want to comment on them. It's time for us to come to terms with a fact no one wants to admit. Chicago is a dangerous city. No neighborhood is shielded from the violence. We can't even protect our children. Darlene, nothing is new. This is not new in Chicago. If you're just coming to the terms with Chicago is a violent city, there's a problem. We have a problem. It's a problem. I am 50... Um, I either grew up right outside, I grew up right outside the city, but I lived in the city for, God, 17, 18, 19 years. Um, you're, if you're just coming to terms with this, I don't remember all the, all the kids' names. There's no way to remember them all. Just because over the last two years or something, but you have this long history of kids. That, that line extends 100 years. 100 years. Chicago, it has been forever. Is the problem now is just it's it's a little more it seems a little more spread out through white areas of the city. Too bad for the whites. They haven't done a damn thing to stop the I can to change the economic circumstances in these communities that creates the circumstances for violence. Like I don't want there to be any violence. But don't tell me now it's it's oh my god, it's violent. There were nine hundred and eighty murders a year in the early nineties. There was a case, and I can't remember the kid's name, I'm sorry, but like a 12-year-old dropped a 5-year-old um, out of the um, out of a window in the CHA because of a gang order, I think. No, this is nothing new. This is the city. It's been like that forever. It's just that it was contained to certain zip codes for so less people gave a shit. It wasn't so much caught on body cameras and videos and social media, so people gave a shit less. Nothing's changed. Um, kind of seems delusional to me. Nothing's changed in Chicago. All right. Next one. Every mayor for the last 30 years has failed to keep his or her promise to bring the violence under control. Um, yeah. If they didn't promise you structural changes in the city, how the hell were the violence going to change? They were going to hire just the right superintendent? You think for the 30 years they just kept hiring the wrong superintendent? It's well beyond the police and the justice system to make significant change. And you're not going to hear that from the delusional agencies, leaders. They're absolutely delusional and lying. 
the unions lying and corrupt. They can't make systemic changes in these neighborhoods. They never could and they never will. It's not that that's not negative to the system. It's how the system is built. That's the tools and resources they got. They don't build schools. They don't build jobs. They don't. They don't. The mayors do. So if they're not going to bring in systemic change, don't listen to any of the BS about their promises with the justice system. I never believed a one from any of them. The fact that you did, or it seems like you did, to me is sad. If you're a journalist, you shouldn't believe anything they say. Okay. It's amazing that anyone believes anything they say on the, on the campaign trail. Superintendent David Brown. First year legacy does not give us reason to feel hopeful. There were... There has been nearly a thousand homicides in Chicago since he took over to the police department in April 2020. It would be unfair to blame Brown for every killing during his short tenure. But under his leadership thus far, the violence has clearly gotten worse. Well, Darlene, congratulations to doing the same crapola your crime reporters are doing and the same crapola that um, the FOP is doing. You can't compare what happened this year to any other year in the city, maybe for 100 years. Worldwide pandemic, unbelievable systemic um, insecurity for economics, health, housing, employment. Are you kidding me? Like, I am not a David Brown fan. We are doing research on him, and I think that's going to be the second or third project we published this summer on Mr. Brown. He is nothing innovative. He is nothing new. But to blame him for the murders in Chicago, it's unbelievably ignorant. I think it's horrific. Um, no superintendent was going to get his hands around it. No superintendent around the country has gotten their hands around how to stop the violence that has come up and has been spurred by the pandemic. So to grade him anywhere near that curve is ridiculous. But the predators, um, the whores, political, not the journalists, but I'm talking like the police union and politicians looking to hurt him or the mayor or something will bring this number out like this. Journalists need to be more careful. That is just plain wrong. Um, and I am not happy with Lightfoot, and I am not happy with her selection of Brown, not happy with what Brown has done. But to, to, to talk about how he didn't have some magic bullet for this, it's just ridiculous. Um, and also, by the way, you have no idea, and no one does. It's very hard to figure it out, even in the best of social science research. How many murders would there have been if he didn't change things? <laughs> Prove that. Very hard. Um, and I don't think what he's done generally. But that thing like, oh my God, there's been so much violence in the year you've been here. Come during an international worldwide pandemic, what we've had to have in 100 years, and solve the violence problem. And Chicago's already had incredible violence problems embedded in it for 100 years. But figure it out and figure it out in a pandemic in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> no. Last one, it would be unfair to blame Brown for every killing during his short tenure, but under his leadership, oh, violence has gotten much worse. Yeah, I read that. No, it, this is, this is um, he doesn't control social policies. He doesn't. Um, there was no way any police department, any justice system, anywhere in the country, yet anywhere in the world was going to be prepared to handle what happened, especially in a city of Chicago with the violence problems we have. It was only going to get much, much worse. And you know what happened? It got much, much worse. And that is not a, a shock. It was completely, unbelievably predictable. What he does going forward as we wind out of the pandemic here, that is worth keeping your eye on.
Okay, next segment. It's an article from um, The Guardian. I'm not, not sorry, article from The Guardian. From WBEZ. Guardian or... Here, and I'm going to show you it. Okay. Guardian or Warrior. David Brown's first year as Chicago's top cop pulled him in two directions. This is by Patrick Smith, if I'm not mistaken. Let's start off with a quote. This was the reform-minded leader that Dallas residents came to know during Brown's six years running the city's department. It was also the leader that Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot promised when Brown took his oath as top cop here one year ago. <clears throat> I have no idea what that's based on. No idea. We're gonna, I'm not going to tell you the research that we've done on Brown, but I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say it's coming out later this uh, probably early summer. I don't know what they're talking about. The reporting on Brown in Chicago from Chicago journalists about his time in Dallas sucks. Patrick Smith from BEZ happens to do the least worst of that reporting. Otherwise, the reporting has been awful. The city council's review and questioning of Brown when he took office was God horrible. His book that Brown wrote, you know, about his time in Dallas, awful. Completely missed so many facts about what actually happened there. I don't know what reform-minded, what is reform-minded spouting about community policing and engagement and getting communities closer? Did any of that happen? No, no, no. Were communities that much closer to the police department in Dallas and other cities? No, they weren't. I've talked to reporters. I've gone through all the clips in Dallas. That is just untrue. Um, this, if, if there's no way Brown is the reformer that Police Accountability Task Force uh, leader Lightfoot would have been happy with that any other mayor hired. But, in, but when she's in the power and in the shoes, yeah, Brown's fine. So I don't know what reform they're talking about. It would be great if the reporters went back through what happened in Dallas piece by piece and re report on it. They won't do it, so we're going to do it for you. We'll bring it to you in the summer. Um, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. So there's going to be a link in the chat um, about, and I'll talk, and it's a one of our early shows um, from our, it's a YouTube link. It's one of our early shows with Steve Rhodes from the Beachwood Reporter. And basically it's about us talking about the media coverage of Brown and his um, confirmation hearing. And yes, Patrick Smith did the least worst of that, but it was really awful, awful across the board. They fell down on their jobs so bad. Um, I mean, it was in the midst of a pandemic, but they still usually suck. And this is just another example of their suck. And we're going to scoop the hell out of them in the summer. Don't you worry about that. Um, um, Becca Jars, let me get a couple more quotes and then I'll get to your question. Brown has pushed the department to uproot its historic code of silence and embrace community policing. He talks about community policing the community saturation team or whatever service team that he offered, the saturation team that's just old school policing, it's nothing new. Um, how did people get on there? There was a, we did a story a couple, a month ago or so on this, about a story about how some cop that's had brutality history and complaint history um, and was being investigated got on that unit. I don't think there's anything new in any of that. Um, he's pushed the department to uproot its historic Code of silence, crap 
Ola. B.S. Horrible. No, they have not. Um, but that's more them listening to the rhetoric than actually looking at what he does new. You tell me something new that he's done in police shootings or in transparency around anything that another superintendent hasn't done. That's crapola. They're, they're buying the rhetoric and not the actions. So typical for Chicago reporters. Look at what they do, not what they say. Here we go. After retiring from the Dallas Department in 2016, Brown published a well-received book called To Rise. Chronicling his evolution from throw him in jail and let God sort him out to beat cop, or, or beat, a beat cop, into a passionate advocate, community-oriented law enforcement. I forgot the academic's name. He's from a university in Florida. Crank. Crank. I had to read his crappy book for a, a grad school class. Um, he was horrible on police culture. But the one interesting thing he did say about community policing was it's just a way for the police department to get a warrant to go do what they were going to already do anyways. They get the warrant, not from the Justice Department, but from the community. They're going to do the same stuff. They're just getting the community warrant from the community to go do the same shit they were going to do anyways. Um, I don't think community policing's ever been historically good anywhere. I think it's mostly myth. Uh, the evaluations of Chicago are horrific. They're done by insider um, academics who helped write the community policing plan in Chicago. So, of course, they weren't going to evaluate it. I think community policing, for the most part, has been a horrific failure that most people buy in. There's a correlation between crime dropping and community policing coming in. But in Chicago, for example, um, community policing was already, I mean, the crime was already dropping before community policing came in. So um, it's just bad research. It's just bad research and people buying this bullshit about community policing made, making a major difference. And I'll tell you, you can look in the 14th, I think it's the 14th district, when a commander there, who is also a scholar, became the commander. The first thing he did is kill community policing because it was crap, it's bullshit, it's a program that never worked. And this idea that has brought in all these amazing things are just crapola. But journalists suck it up like nobody's business because they love it. All right, here's one more quote. Um, and then we'll get to um, back of the yard's next question. Back of the yard's next question. At city council confirmation hearing, many aldermen had the chance to grill the potential leader of a $1.7 billion per year city agency. And the tone was mostly positive in support of a brown with many aldermen thanking him for agreeing to take on the role. Yeah, that's right. Thank the guy instead of really asking him questions. They didn't grill him. There was no grilling there. Zero, negative, nada, nope, zero. We, part of our research on Brown, will be looking at that confirmation hearing. That is, um, this is more rhetoric, crepola, horrible journalism, than it is... Um, a reflection of what actually went on at that hearing. Um, crapola. And any alderman that thanked him for taking the job needs to leave. They should be recalled. Get them out. It's a joke. Um, I'm just so sick of these people not doing their damn jobs. So um, let's get the back of the judge question. 
with the vigilante, the vigilante culture of John Catanzara and FOP, what leverage does the city have over the CPD? More than you would think. First of all, legislation can, legislation like through ordinances and then through the state can restrict police actions. For instance, the Anjanette Young ordinance. It's an important piece to pass. Maybe some changes need to be made. I haven't read it in a long time, um, but it's an important, that type of can just restrict actions. When can you do search warrants? How can you do search warrants? Um, when can you have foot pursuit? You know what? The city council can write their own foot pursuit ordinance uh, policy. This is how you, this is what you can do, period. Don't wait for them to do it. They can write their own. So there's plenty of things are, City Council, our Cook County Board, our Illinois General Assembly can do. They've got to get on and do it. Don't worry about union contracts. Don't worry about any of that. Write the laws, pass them. Restrict their, their behavior. And open them up and force um, the transparency. Period. Um, so that's what can be done. And um, write clearer laws. Like the law in the Illinois General Assembly that just passed Omnibus Bill HB3653, which we've done two shows on. You can go look on our uh, Facebook or Twitch or YouTube channels. Um, we did two. You turn off your body camera to hide something in the middle of some event and you're trying to hide it. Class 3 felony. Same thing if you if you write a false report or you have, you have knowledge of an officer fighting a false report and you don't do anything. Class 3 felony. That's going to make things change because then it's much easier to convict them of something. Right? Much easier. You don't want people using chokeholds. You don't want cops using chokeholds. You don't want cops kneeing on their necks. Knee, knee on their backs for five minutes or whatever. That's fine. Write a law. Make it a crime. Make it a felony. That way you can easily convict them of things. The laws around policing are so vague, they're using the laws that they use against citizens. That ain't right. Just restrict their behavior. You can't do it. You do this, it's a felony. So that's my that's my view on it. Happy year, happy years. If you have any comments, if you're watching on any of our channels live, please feel free to comment or throw questions. I'm happy to take them. Okay. We're going to come back. We have some about the FOP's Friday update, which was interesting. It came, I think it dropped yesterday. Um, it's going to be really interesting. So, But we're going to be back uh, in one minute after this break. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for being here. By all means, if you're watching in any of our uh, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, drop a question or comment. I'm happy to include them in the show. So we're going to move to segment number five. Um, 
This is um, the Friday update, which happens every Friday on YouTube now, or most Fridays. The FOP Fraternal Order Police President John Contanzara um, does these videos on YouTube to update his uh, constituency, the troops, the patrol officers in the Chicago Police Department, some detectives I think are also covered. Okay, first, John Contanzara. We're doing research on him too. It's going to be published this summer. Around 50 complaints. And in some of those complaints, there are multiple elements involved in those complaints. So it's not just 50 single allegations. One complaint may have five allegations in it. He's had 50 complaints filed against him, mostly by fellow police officers, very few by actual civilians. How bad do you have to be that the Blue Wall of Silence complained about you 30 or 40 times? Think about how bad of a cop do you have to be? I mean, he's in the upper echelon of, um, of cops with the most complaints. According to the uh, Citizen Public Data dashboard by the Invisible Institute, which I'm not remembering the whole name of um, at the moment. Sorry about that, guys. But he has got to be, with that record, you'd have to think you would consider him in any other job one of the worst employees. How many of you get to keep your job when 30 or 40 of your fellow employees have filed complaints against you. A few of them have been gone through the process, been sustained, gone through the superintendent. They've moved to fire him. The, the police board wouldn't fire him, but they suspended him. He's had multiple suspensions. Who keeps their job? Who gets in a position then to run a union and be able to dictate, help dictate policies around discipline I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So I wanted, to, I wanted to say that to start out, to give you um, a little bit of background about what you're looking at. Also, this uh, has two pieces. One is about a <clears throat> guilty verdict in the um, case of attempted murder and a couple of aggravated battery charges against Officer Veronica, not against her, but in the case where she was the victim. Officer Veronica Murillo was assaulted on the job back in 2016. That case just wound up either yesterday or the day before with a guilty verdict. I think he got, char got convicted of two ag-bat charges and maybe two resisting arrest charges. Did not get on the attempted murder charge. Um, what happened to her? Awful. She supposedly, how much you can believe from Katanzara, has um, a traumatic brain injury. It's awful. Um, I wish her nothing but the best. I hope for speedy recovery. I hope she's doing well. hope she has, um, like, I have nothing bad to say about her. I wish the incident never happened. So we're going to, he talks about that conviction first. So this is what I'm going to play in the clip. And then we get to the Anthony Alvarez spin in clip two about the shooting. And I want you to listen to it because it's very interesting how he tries to spin it. Um, so let's go to clip one and I'll be back in two minutes. All right, good evening. It's not Friday, but uh, some events definitely necessitate an update uh, before Friday. There was a trial at 26th and Cal that concluded this afternoon for Officer Veronica Murillo, who was the victim of an aggravated battery and attempted murder by a subject who was high on PCP in October of 2016. Uh, I'm somewhat happy to announce at least that the offender was found guilty of two counts of aggravated battery and two counts of resisting 
but they did not get a guilty verdict for the attempted murder charge. Uh, sentencing will be sometime in May. Stand by for what that ends up being. I will say many people will remember that incident. Officer Marilla will never return to duty. She is has a traumatic brain injury from that incident that will definitely change the rest of her life indefinitely. It just highlights how quickly a simple routine incident that many of us dealt with on a daily basis sometimes with some knucklehead who's just being combative or non-compliant turns ultra-violent in a split second and it changes an officer's life. You know, the reality is then Superintendent Johnson said that Marilla would have been justified in shooting that offender in that scenario in fear of her own life. People need to remember that standard, in fear of your own life or great bodily harm. Um, Officer Marillo articulated that part of her hesitancy was the Laquan McDonald shooting and that she didn't want to be scrutinized like Jason Van Dyke did for that shooting and second-guessed. That is a reoccurring theme as we go forward here about officers not wanting to be second-guessed because everybody is second-guessed. Okay, so, like I said, all sympathy for the officer. But let's talk about spin from the FOP. The Laquan McDonald murder, which is what it was, it was a murder, believe it or not, he still won't say it, he still backs thinking Officer Van Dyke did nothing wrong in that case. That murder is on you. The cover-up that happened, the lying that happened, the false reports that got filed, that's on the police department. Not on Laquan and not on the public. God forbid, in a democracy, the people speak up and say, you know what? We don't like that behavior from our government officials. Which, honestly, Kanzara, he's... All for that. He filed a report on the superintendent, which is why they might fire him now. He's up on charges in front of the Chicago Police Board. He, he spouts out anytime he wants about government officials. The only people that cannot be questioned in a democracy is the police. Don't question. The, the public's supposed to be worried when they speak out and say, you know what? We don't want someone shooting someone for absolutely no reason and then lying about it. We don't want a police officer doing that. We have to worry, no, you know what, we got to let you shoot people, whoever you are, white people, shoot as many unarmed or not threatening black people as possible. Shoot them all. Don't worry about it because the last thing we want to do is you've been hesitant in your job. So just keep killing them as many as, as you want. How obscene is that? How lunatic right wing is that? It's unbelievable. So as a, as a citizen, he should be able and have all the rights to question anyone he wants and any government official he wants, but don't question the police. Nope. Because it might make them second-guess their jobs. That's your fault. That's the police department's fault. Stop shooting unarmed black people for no goddamn reason. Or black people that he did. He had a little knife, and he was walking away from the officer, who, by the way, all the other officers on the scene had the thing handled. He came out of nowhere, got out of his car, and shot him 16 goddamn times. That's your fault. That's your officer's fault. That's the department's fault. 
you're you're worried about what the public feels about someone who just outright murders someone and they're wearing a police uniform so you think they should just get away with it that's your fault are you kidding me you're fine and let me tell you back up a second this guy backed the insurrectionists his first comments after they stormed the congress which i'm a mile from stormed it and were headhunting congress people his, his it was like, well, people are pissed. They have a right to be pissed. What are you talking about? So you're, those people were fine with questioning government in the way they did it. But the public just voicing it in a nonviolent um, way, protests and like speaking out in the newspapers, on TV, and being like just voting differently because of it, that's not allowed. That may make a cop second guess what he does. Um, You'll have to find a way around it. Or get your people to stop shooting black people that aren't a threat or don't have a weapon. Stop having them shooting. And then you won't have to worry about repercussions of bad shootings. Just stop the bad shootings from happening. But I have never heard Cotton Zara speak once on anything he thought was a bad shooting. Because there can't be. It's impossible. The cops never do anything wrong. They do nothing but right. It's ridiculous. This guy's all for questioning government except the police. Don't question them because he's the police. He's beyond being questioned. It's obscene and hypocritical. But that's what you get. All right, so we are going to go um, to the second clip now. And I'll come back. This one run time about four minutes. That parlays into my second point here. It's expected tomorrow or in the next day or two, video will be released of a shooting in the 16th district a few weeks ago of a 21-year-old offender that was shot and killed by the police. Uh, We know already what the spin is going to be, what certain people in the community, even some politicians, are going to try and make this out to be because the offender was struck in the back with gunfire. The reality is, and the video will show, that the offender was known to the police because the day before he had taken off from the police in a vehicle. And since we can't really do vehicle pursuits, they had to let him go, but they absolutely knew he was the driver. They had previously gotten into an incident with him when he was in a domestic with the mother of his child uh, where I'm told that he was threatening to kill her, and that ended up in a foot chase, too, where he was arrested by this same officer. Uh, so the offender was clearly known as a problem child to the police, no doubt. That being said, the night in question, they see him on foot. They go to stop him to talk to him about the car the day before. He flees on foot, drops the bags that he had, and starts running, grabbing his side, and at some point, removing a gun from his waistband. The officer giving chase can clearly see the weapon as he's closing the distance on the offender. The offender rounds a corner and starts running up a block and actually slips and falls on a front lawn, which allows the officer to close the gap even further. By the time the offender gets up and starts running again, he readjusts course, turning to his left in the direction of where the officer is coming around the corner. The officer with the gun in plain sight, fears that the offender is going to turn and start firing on him because that's the motion he was making. So 
he starts firing at the offender as he tactically moves to his left to try and go to cover along the parked cars to his left. There was nothing wrong with this shooting just because the bullets struck the offender from behind. There was nothing saying the bullets have to be from the front. You can easily, and I challenge anybody who thinks otherwise, to stand behind me, or anybody for that matter, with a gun. And if you don't think someone could just stick their arm backwards and shoot backwards, all it takes is one shot. Our officers are not obligated, again, I'll say it a thousand times, to sustain gunfire or gunshot wounds in order to return fire. All you need is the fear of bodily harm or death to you or someone else in order to take action. This officer clearly was in fear of being shot when he fired upon the offender, striking him. It is 100% good shooting, but we know what the narrative is going to be and what the knee-jerk reaction is going to be about throwing the officer under the bus. It's important for the public to at least try and look at these videos with an open mind and not from a Monday morning quarterback perception. You know, as I started this conversation with Officer Murillo, how quickly things can change. We do not have to be attacked first in order to take action. We can take preemptive actions to restrict somebody from attacking us, whether with a gun or any other weapon, including their hands. Um, this incident went down the way it did. Uh, we support this officer's actions. The department has supported this officer's actions. The public uh, is going to be, I'm guessing, a little different story because sadly, there's going to be politicians throwing this officer under the bus and calling for his hide. Um, but uh, just know that the FOP is never going to just say okay to a narrative because a politician COPA, the mayor, uh, or any even law enforcement official says otherwise. The rules of engagement are very clear. This officer followed them. And uh, again, I just would caution anybody to lower the rhetoric and just concentrate on the facts and take the emotion out of the equation. Okay, and we're back. Okay, so there is some spin going on. First of all, the background is virtually irrelevant. Unless he had some history of shooting at every police officer he saw or something, that background's irrelevant. That's spin. Next. Saint or devil, irrelevant. Whether the guy's a saint or a devil, whatever, irrelevant. All that matters is what was he doing? What did he do that caused the shooting? Excuse me, not what he did a week ago, a, a day ago, an hour ago, six months ago. We try to put value on people. That's spin. It's coded language. It's usually about race, black person, bad, gang member, young, black guy, gang member, whatever. Don't make a difference. He could be the worst guy or the best guy. It's an irrelevant issue. What did he do that caused the officer to shoot him or did he do nothing? Was there no cause? That is the only question that matters. Now. I think I've checked with sources today that Kanzara to some extent is right in that if, as long as the officer has an articulable reason for why he shot and it's remotely reasonable in his head to have that thought, it's okay to shoot. That to me is a problem. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I do agree with something my sources say that, you know, 
a person being shot in the back doesn't automatically mean it's a bad shoot. And I agree with that. I can see circumstances where someone would have a gun and he's mostly turned in the other direction, but he raises the gun backward, you know, behind him and causes the officer to shoot them. I think that is reasonable that under, under certain circumstances. I'm not saying in this case, I haven't watched the video, but you got to understand the spin. Once he starts to spin things and talk about the background, how bad of a guy he was and the officer knew him, that's irrelevant material. And that signals to me bad shooting. Without even looking at the videotape, the FOP spin signals to me that it's a bad shooting. Um, we'll see whether it is or not. We'll keep you updated on the spin. We're going to be watching these videos and bringing them to you. But it is definitely a spin thing. So let's move on to our next and final. Um, yeah, we're going to final segment for the day. We ran a little bit over, but that's fine. And Beckley, Jarge, we're going to get to your question on this new, this next segment. This is an article out of the Marshall Project, which if you're involved, if you want to keep up on criminal, criminal justice matters, they do some great reporting on the national level. For our podcast listeners, it is one roadblock to police reform veteran officers who train recruits. And this is absolutely the truth. This has been a huge issue for a long time. Um, the Marshall Project talks about it. This has come out in full display. Dante Servan, um, not Dante Servan, um, Chauvin, I think, was a training officer at some point. Um, the female officer in the Minneapolis, Dante Wright shooting, was a head of the union and also a trainer. And this has come up multiple times with trainers recently. Um, the field training officer issue in Chicago has been a longstanding problem. There have been no requirements for how you become one. So then these officers with all this experience, um, but then this history of, of abuse become training officers. They're the one training new recruits. Forget what you were taught in the academy. I'll train you. I'll train you to do what you do. This is why even Brown, um, and it'll come up in a minute, this um, link to BEZ, a BEZ article, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, comments about it, that being a problem. And this came up in the Justice Department investigation about how they need to really start paying attention to this. This is something the CPD has ignored this program. But this is the same thing with trainers in the academy and field training officers. Some of the worst officers have ended up in the academy as trainers or ended up as field training officers. And since the Justice Department, it's been a couple of years, I think, since the Justice Department's investigation ended, right? It was actually four years now that I think about it because it, was, it ended right before Trump took office or just as Trump was taking office. In that investigation, it was like, you got to do something about field training officers and change the requirements to be in there. They haven't done it. They haven't done it. They've put in a bunch of new FTOs, but they haven't changed the requirements. It's obscene. All right, so to get to, um, back of the judge has a couple more comments. Any guy who attended a Southside Catholic High School knows today's police were the most racist kids in class. Um, I have, I will tell you, I know now from high school five, I think, that are Chicago police officers. I grew up in Norwich, just outside of Chicago, just outside of the city, right by O'Hare Airport. I would say from, I haven't seen them in years, but, or most of them in years, one I keep in contact with regularly, weekly. Um, 
three of them just from what I known from them in high school in the years from high school to the time they went on the force should not be police officers. They shouldn't be in any job of trust. They have zero morals and values. Zero. Um, so I, I would say, let's say three out of six. The other two, I'm not sure. I think they're okay. And one I know for sure is okay. Um, we're going to get to that article. Um, so that gets to the one post. And I think Cotton Zara encapsulates the FOP guy, the culture of the CPD. They're like a rogue militia. Certain elements definitely are. And Cotton Zara definitely encapsulates that. That's why they voted for him. They want that. He shouldn't, he shouldn't still be on the job. 50 complaints. He should have been gone long, long ago. But they, some elements of the force love that. And it just serves um, such a um, disservice to the cops. Okay, let's wrap up this last segment. So that's the BEZ article talks about this officer, Joshua Perkis. Um, he's a field, tra field training officer. Um, here He runs some company diplomacy failures or when diplomacy fails something like that um here's one honestly it's not always some of the social media posts honestly it's not always the best honestly it's not always the best policy i actually want to hear from a guy in a, in a position of trust choose your victims carefully okay a judge in a case he was in in some uh employment case he was just a tangential witness he wasn't really involved um pressed the law department who called him to like what are you talking about why is he still a cop and the law department dodged it they have not answered the cpd or copa they have not answered whether they informed the cpd or copa about the social media posts um right this lightfoot's law department has refused to do it um, in five months, so it turns out five months after the hearing and the investigation was opened, we have no idea how or why. Um, and 15 months after that, it's still open. COPA, resign, just give it up. If you can't finish an investigation in this guy into social media posts, 15 months, 15 months, 15 months. What good are you? What good are you? And here's the, the this guy said this knowing he was in a court hearing, okay, and on the record. Under oath, Perkis said, there are real police and alphas who are out there on the street doing the work. Then there are those officers who do not have the answer to who, and no, I'm sorry, misreading it. And, and that those officers do not have to answer the house mouse secretaries who are in charge of paperwork and making sure officers follow department rules. 15 months into that guy who gave that testimony in court and those social media posts, and he's still on the gig. What hope is there for police accountability and COPA if that's the reality? Okay, guys, thank you so much for being here. Back of the Jarge, thank you for participating. Really appreciate it. We will get to the segment about body cameras and turning them off and the Black Club article. We will get to that on Friday. Thank you so much all for being here. Hopefully we see some of you tonight at the nation meeting. Have a great night, everyone.